Welcome to our continuing 2020 educational webinar series. I'm Catherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager for First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have Andrea Tiniano, Esquire, Chief Legal and Compliance Officer, and Thomas R. Allen, Jr., Director, Healthcare of Transparency Registry with us today. Transparency Registry offers the only cloud-based registry that securely tracks distressed consumer debt from the time it is charged off to the time it is closed, tracking all changes in the debt's owner, servicer, and balance. In 2014, the Markell administration recruited Andrea to launch the Division of Corporate and International Development for the State of Delaware. The following year, she founded the Delaware Blockchain Initiative, the first of its kind blockchain endeavor designed to deploy blockchain technology in government and enact blockchain-friendly legislation. Andrea is on the advisory board of the Wall Street Blockchain Alliance and the founding chairperson of its Enterprise Solutions Working Group. She's a frequent con contributor to Forbes.com, writing on subjects pertaining to the world of blockchain technology. Markets Media awarded Andrea its Women in Finance Award for Excellence in Blockchain. Forbes and KPMG selected Andrea for its Great Rewrite video series. Andrea received her undergraduate degree in economics from Brown University. She attended Delaware Law School, graduating magna cum laude. She clerked for former Chancellor William Chandler III of the Court of Chancery, and then joined Pepper Hamilton representing clients in litigation. Following her stint as a litigator, Andrea joined CSC Corporation Service Company as its Assistant General Counsel. Soon after, she was promoted to the newly created position of Vice President Business Development. Thomas R. Allen Jr. is a healthcare executive specializing in medical practice growth. Allen has a record of improving efficiencies, quality, and safety, and forging partnerships that strengthen all entities, cost, containment, and operations. Allen started his healthcare career as a board-certified dosimetrist specializing in treatment planning in radiation oncology. To build the practice, he differentiated it through the installation of the most advanced technology in the market and designed and mounted a marketing promotion highlighting the new resources and the academic achievements of the users. In eight years, Allen transformed the practice from one location with 13 staff and generating 1.2 million to 25 locations with 300 staff and 60 providers caring for 50,000 patients and generating 150 million in annual revenue. Allen decided to leverage his success and became an operations consultant. In this role, he oversaw business and clinical operations, infrastructure, policy, clinical development, and financial reporting. Under his guidance, by devising business plans and enhancing service offerings in medical oncology, surgical service, genetic programs, and pharmacy, the firm experienced a 400% surge in revenue and 133% plus client base growth achieved within 12 months. Allen was also responsible for conceptualizing a startup that developed software to escalate revenue cycle management process. He authored the software process based on CMS billing and coding guidelines. 20 million in trans transactions was accomplished in 12 months by forming an alliance with a global software company to create an artificial intelligence product service, a uh, product service. Allen holds a master's in medical dosimetry from Baptist University of Tennessee and is a graduate of Harvard's Medical School's Safety, Quality, Informatics, and Leadership Program. A copy of the slides is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions in the question box of your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your PACOM and PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you following the broadcast. 
Your PACOM certificate will come directly from PACOM and your PMI certificate will come from our email. There is no need to request either one. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. A download of the handout is available on the side panel of your screen. So Andrea, Thomas, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Catherine. Um, it's, it's really a pleasure to be here and we're so happy to have this opportunity to speak with you and speak with your listeners here today. Um, as you know, the, the title of this presentation is Medical Debt, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And for a while, I, I really was unsure whether we should give this presentation at this time, because it, it seems to talk about medical debt. In some ways, it seems that it's, it's so unfeeling, right? We, um, we're now recording during the time of the pandemic. We're all hunkered down. I'm in my third floor office. I know you, Catherine, you're in your home and Tom is in his home. And if uh, this were a normal day, a regular day, we would probably be all together doing this and, and um, sharing conversations easily uh, during this presentation. But that's, that's simply not the case. Um, COVID-19 and the threat of this um, this awful illness has has really changed changed the world for all of us. So, so this is the time of the pandemic. We are hunkered down. Um, the economy is closed, and and um, we're all experiencing this together. And and it's interesting, Catherine. When I said, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing this, and you said, no, actually, this is an important topic. This is something that people will be caring about. And and frankly, in this during this time, it it may even be more important for for hospitals and health systems and doctors to really understand um, what their options are with medical debt and what they can be doing about it. So in this presentation um, today, we'll be looking at medical debt. What are, what are the issues, the opportunities, the challenges, and, and solutions, potential solutions? So um, like I said, it's it's hard to to really start talking about medical um, medical debt without considering where we are in the and the context for this presentation. Um, I am married to a doctor. I have doctors in my family. Um, they work in hospitals, so I know firsthand, or not firsthand, but really secondhand, that there are many doctors and hospitals and health systems who are now on the front line of treating um, patients who have COVID-19. And this is, this is really a very, very difficult time for them. Um, at the same time uh, that they're giving so much for all of us, for our community, there are doctors who, whose practices have been sidelined. Um, they've had to close their office because they're unable to treat patients, uh, ophthalmologists, dermatologists, and, and several others, so many other specialties are unable to treat patients um, either because they uh, it's, it's not considered essential services. They're only seeing patients who are in distress or emergency situations. And so many doctors are sidelined. They have a loss of income. They've had to close their offices. And so what we have here is, is really a perfect storm of, of patients in the most dire situations. And then you have health systems and doctor's offices that are losing revenue, um, medical practices losing revenue because um, they're not able to do the elective surgeries and other services that can um, bring in revenue to, to the office. So, so at the very time when we need our health systems to be operating at full, full function and, and being productive and, and profitable, they're, they're not able to um, make some of that uh, profit they need to keep, keep the hospitals going. So we we hear about doctors being laid off. So, so it's so the question of getting paid becomes even more important, right? Especially when there are projections of loss. So that brings us to debt. Um, and we go into our first slide. Let's see if I can make that happen. Um, okay. Let's see. I'm sorry. Sorry, Catherine. <laughs> I'm having trouble. <laughs> I thought I was pressing the right button, and now I'm not pressing it. It's not working. Um, okay, let's try, let's see if I can make this. Okay. So that brings us to our first slide. Um, 
about debt. Um, there's quite a lot of debt in this country, and it's almost hard to escape the the um, the crush of debt that overwhelms so many of our friends and neighbors. And you can see by the slide that there's there's quite a bit of debt, and once uh, a consumer is in debt, uh, that debt can can continue for years, years and years. But when we think about medical debt, and as I was talking about this, um, the debt that that currently exists, there will be there will be more debt um, to come. But when we think about debt and and the idea that uh, that you have so many patients in debt, nearly one in six Americans um, were contacted by a debt collector because of a health bill. Fifty-two percent of the items on credit reports are for medical debts, and there are statistics that that say that half the debt in America is actually medical um, medical debt. Um, you know, when we think about medical debt, it's it's really hard to lump medical debt in with with the other debt out there, with credit card payments, car payments, and and other types of loans, because medical debt. Is really is really in a class a class by itself, and some people might might disagree. <laughs> of course, everybody wants to get paid, but when you think about how medical debt is incurred and the creditor, the hospital, the doctors, the medical systems, um, when you think about that, and you think about what is their goal, your goal. What's what is your um, you know your the reason for for providing the services? It's to keep your patients healthy. And, and so many health systems now aren't just treating the patient, they're in the community. And there's a holistic approach to ensuring that the patient has everything he or she needs to stay healthy. Um, so when you think about that, 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 that health hospitals and doctors and health systems are, are trying to ensure the, the medical, the, the body, the health, the mental well-being of their patients. And then you think of the question of, how hospitals and health systems, you know, get paid. Um, there, there becomes a, it becomes very tricky. There's, there's a balance because on the one hand you have health systems that, that they want to collect what's owed to them for the services provided, but at, on the other hand they don't want to undermine their good work because they, um, they want to collect on that money, but they don't want to do so and, and in, in the process create duress and um, cause cause additional harm. So it can be tricky. And, and frankly, hospitals and doctors and medical systems who are seeking to, to find an answer how, how to make that happen, how to bring in the, bring in the money that, that's owed to them, um, there's very little guidance, very, very little guidance about um, collecting on, on medical debt. Um, if you were to go online and, and do searches about medical debt or debt collection, uh, first of all, there wouldn't be a lot out there. And most of the, um, the resources you would find would focus on outliers, would focus on aggressive hospitals that are uh, going after the most, <laughs> the Goliath, the David and Goliath scenarios. They, they, their focus is on the big bad hospital or the big bad debt collector and, and the patient and who who has no means to pay and and frankly um, in these articles you'll find patients who racked up really high bills maybe it was a spouse that was sick or um, perhaps died and and the, the the partner is has been left with the bills and then for someone who has um, undergone uh, treatment, had the most severe illnesses, and, and then they have their wages garnished without any warning. And, and if you go online, these are the kind of pictures you're going to see. And I, I suspect these are, like I said, these are outliers. This is not what any hospital, no hospital wants to be or health system wants to be in the news for overly aggressive tactics, even if they are within the bounds of the law. Um, I suspect that um, this type of sensational reporting is is not good for anybody. It's no hospital, no debt collector wants to be painted as a villain. And frankly, individuals, patients, they they want to do the right thing, but they are overwhelmed with um, they're overwhelmed by the debt and the inability to pay. Maybe they had health insurance, but they had a high deductible, or maybe 
the um, the medical provider was out with it, it was an emergency or it was a situation where they were being provided by an out of network provider and and the expense was extremely high. And and our health, you know, our health system is, is a, this is this is <laughs> we have a very complicated health system and although people are trying to fix it in, in government, it, it's still it's still a problem, but we're we're left and and that the fact is that hospitals need to get paid and medical systems need to get paid and but there it's a delicate balance frankly um so the question is um how how to how to do the right thing because as i said i believe doctors and hospitals they they do want to do the right thing so now i move to the next slide and and so in this in this situation with the pandemic with the uncertain economy with now covid-19 related medical expenses and the loss um the loss of health insurance by many many individuals and and um you know businesses shuttering the question is um what what to do i mean right now we have 36% of all crowdfunding goes to medical debt and and frankly if um if a hospital is collecting 12% there and this professional deck using professional deck collectors they're doing they're doing well um generally after 90 days a hospital places its debt with the collection agency for some of them but um you know is this is this really you know we need to figure out what is the best what is the best approach for for um, for hospitals and medical systems, what are their options? And frankly, many many hospitals and medical systems, they especially smaller organizations, they have their employees. They they uh, seek to um, collect debt, or the other options might be to hire a third party debt collector. Still, others, very few, will sell their debt to third party purchasers, or and still others may um may write off uh the debt entirely so each of these options have their own advantages and their own disadvantages and we will you know we will go through um let's say all all three of those uh options here but at this point tom you've been awfully quiet <laughs> and i know you have a lot to share so what i would like to do is is really is is ask you some questions about um, about your background, because as we learned from um, our introduction, you you built a 60 physician multi-specialty practice in Western New York, and that was oncology, radiation, surgical oncology, OBGYN, primary care. You had in-house physician dispensing. You did this for about eight years, and I think you said in the last year you told me you. You took in 150 of annual revenue. Um, is that right? Yeah, that is correct. And tell me, what kind of medical debt, let's say, that you had in in the last year? Well, of, if, of your practice. Yeah, if you don't mind, uh, I just want to sure. just add a couple things you said. Yeah, I, sure, please. I completely agree, and I think um, anyone in the healthcare space agrees with you that uh, medical debt is surging and has been surging but i'll just talk briefly about you know what we're seeing not sure. just not just locally in uh, western new york area but nationally you know through you know colleagues that i converse with on a regular basis that we saw a pretty um steep um peak and rise in medical debt that around 2010 right around the um the passing of the affordable uh, care act that that led to significant expansion that you already touched upon of the high deductible plans you know so with the increase in high deductible plans you have a decrease in premium but it leaves the patient with larger out-of-pocket expenses before your insurance kicks in and unfortunately every year even these lower premiums are increasing at a national rate of anywhere from three to five percent and the maximum allowable ex patient out-of-pocket expense is increasing as well. So le basically leaving more, more patient responsibility um, 
and less insurance company responsibility, which to me, which I'm seeing, you know, on our financial, you know, books and records is increased patient debt. And it leaves us as healthcare professionals, whether, you know, from the administrator to the physician to um, the whole healthcare system is what do we do with that debt? Because here we're not, we look at ourselves as we have true relationships, you know, with our patients. And it's it almost an so, ugly, so, ugly Tom, area. Yeah. So Tom, when you say we have true relationships with our patients, I mean, that reinforces the idea that medical debt really is, is, is very different from other types of debt and needs to be treated differently. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. It needs some care, compassion um, around it. Right. And so what you were you were also saying, this idea that you could have individuals who have, I mean, sometimes you think about folks who don't have health insurance as they're the ones who are in the medical debt, you know, have the most debt. But it, it, it sounds like what you're saying is that you have people who have insurance, but they're underinsured or they just don't make enough to cover the gaps um, that that. Um, that exist in, in the, the current insurance plans because of the deductibles. And also you have the out of networks, the surprise out of network expenses, correct? That's absolutely correct. Um, and like I said, the, the increase of high deductible plans, I would say is the first and foremost from my experience. Um, and we have in the cost of doing medicine is increasing, you know, increases every year. We have new therapeutic agents. We have, new diagnostic testing. And the insurance companies, unfortunately, are pretty late to the game on coming up with an appropriate fee schedule based on new um, CPT codes, you know, billing codes. And that leaves the patient with the difference in the balance. And the physicians and healthcare systems, they're investing in these new therapeutic agents, the new technologies, so they have higher costs and they tend to be recouping less due to the high distress medical debt. And so that makes it even harder for the hospitals and the medical systems to continue to provide the excellent care that they want to provide, to have enough doctors on staff, to have enough medical staff um, uh, available to, to, to really do the kind of care uh, that they've been investing in. Yes, yes, and uh, I'll just add one more thing to that. And I'll Please. let you go back into. Uh, I think we have about, a, hospitals in our nation have about a 2.1% um, margin, operational margin, and patient responsibility of, of medical debt equates to about 3 to 4% of operating uh, revenue. So you're saying out of the revenue coming in owed to the to the hospital, three to four percent is is medical debt that that they can't collect. Is that? I I, I can't. I'm not going to say that they can't collect, but that's how it's on the books. So it's on the books. So maybe it gets collected eventually, right. but uh, but it doesn't come in. So that's that's quite a big uh, that's a big uh, percentage then. That's a big. Yeah. So um yes, this um affects almost everyone, you know, no, no physician practice or health system is immune to this issue. This is, it's a, you know, it's a, it's an issue. Systemic. It's pervasive. It's a systemic yeah. problem. And yes. when you were, um, and when you were um, responsible for the, um, the practice that we, we talked about, that was part of your issue. You, you were responsible for handling the debt and what happened to it. Is that, is that right? Yes, and it's kind of alluded to how I said earlier, um, our operational expenses increase yearly, and then our um, what we what we were collecting was decreasing yearly. So it was it's not as for many institutions or even small, especially small practices, but even all the way up to large institutions, it's not a sustainable model when you have that much of a gap. So I've I've just moved the slide to um, one of the options that. Hospitals, Tom. I want I want you to just because um, I'm going to ask you a question about this. One of the um, the uh, options that hospitals have, and that's I think what so many um, medical, especially smaller medical practices, but even larger medical practices do when they have debt, is they turn to their employees to collect on that debt. And you'll see from looking at the slide that there are um, there are certain advantages. For example, when um, employers 
collect on their own debt. Uh, the federal and, and most state uh, collection regulations don't apply to in-house collectors when they collect on their own name. And uh, they certainly can exercise oversight and they have their existing systems to ensure HIPAA, but, but there are disadvantages. And I recall, Tom, that, that you said that you um, initially, when you were seeking to collect on the debt, um, you used in-house, you know, you used employees. And I suppose these are employees that you trained to collect debt. Can you, can you give us a little color there? Yeah, well, our natural uh, decision was to use our in-house billing. Um, so we th these were employees that just focused on medical billing. So that would be to the insurance companies, to Medicare, Medicaid, and to to the patients. But as like as I said, the debt would just accrue, and it just became so large that we would just we would have to throw more staff at working these accounts, calling so, up. So Tom, I'm just going to jump in for a second. So you you had billing folks, and these are the people who right, who they're sending out the bills, but now they're calling to follow up the bills as well. And then you had more debt. So did you hire more bill people who are um, specialized in, in billing? What, as, as, you, as, the, as more debt came on, would you hire more people or did they just cover less of the, the debt? What was um, your situation? Well, well, we were left with the choice of do we hire more people and just kind of throw money at the problem. And the only reason I say throwing money at the problem is because medical billers aren't debt experts. You know, right. they, they, they are not collectors, they're medical billers. They know coding and procedures for submitting claims and educating um, claims. So we weren't seeing great success, you know, in-house. Right. So if we look at the disadvantages of using your employees, that they're not experts, right? They're not experts in collecting. They and you have to hire them. You have, they become, you know, they're a full -time FTE. They they come on your your payroll, and it's not scalable because the debt can go up and down, mostly up. But um, and then you don't have you don't have the debt collection infrastructure that professionals have, and and um, so you have them, but they they're not as effective, right? Um, that's 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 really the issue. That is correct. Uh, were there, we found them yes. spending, you know, uh, a good amount of time trying to collect debt, and by doing so, that takes them away from their uh, normal scope of work, which is actually processing claims that happen every day. So if we're seeing hundreds of patients a day, but my, I have my staff allocated to working some old debt with very little success. The current work gets piled up, gets delayed. And we're, you know, so we're, that actually is a bigger hiccup to the system because that's a delay in actually having um, rev revenue come right back. Revenue in. flowing in. Yep. So, um, so the second option. So we talk about, you know, the, the options for hospitals and medical systems. They can use their own employees, or they can move to uh, third-party debt collectors. And and from the slide, you can see there are certain advantages and certain disadvantages. Tom, you work with a third-party debt collector. Um, and and they get a percentage of what they collect. I mean, they you pay them on a contingency basis, so they get paid based on how much they bring in. And um, can you uh, just give just offer some thoughts about that, please? Uh, yes. After you know a little bit of over a year looking at the mounting debt and just looking at the numbers or where we're carrying, you know, anywhere from you know three to six percent of our total revenue was in you know debt that we were struggling to collect that are, I mean, and it wasn't a sustainable for our practice that we actually had to engage a third party uh, debt collector. And exactly as you stated, it was a rev share model. You know, they got paid based on their successes. We did see um, a significant um, amount of success, um, but that was, and I attribute that to, you know, this is what they do. This is, you know, they, they are the experts. Um, I will admit, though, we were a little gun shy, and so for maybe a few years, because I wish we would have done it earlier, based on you know the potential success or the successes we saw. But it's it's a very touchy sub uh, touchy area where we in, you know with physicians they're worried about you know they have the reputation they're at risk for sending someone to collections. They're worried about the patient. 
um, provider confidentiality, you know, which is under HIPAA. So there, there were so, you know, there, so there were those concerns, but it, it sounds like, if I recall, that you you were able to assuage those, um, allay those fears, and you were able to address those with the debt collectors that you worked with. That is correct, and and we and we had to do it, like I said, because it wasn't sustainable losing, you know, having you know a few million dollars out there, out the door. And then the the third option is for um, hospitals actually and, and health systems to sell their debt. Um, to to third party purchasers, uh, the the advantage is, is of that is that the um, the health systems get their payment up front. They don't have to wait for the collection to take place, right? And they don't um, and they don't need uh, the employees and the salaries that they use for working with them. having their employees collect. There's no scalable issue, and um, the idea is that the the debt buyer is a professional in the debt collection business. They work with debt collectors who are professionals. And the disadvantages, the same as before, you don't have the direct oversight, and you don't have control over which debt collectors contact your patients. Although um, we will talk about that as well. Tom, uh, tell me, uh, you did not, you did not, when you were with your um, health system, you did not. Um, sell debt to third-party purchasers. Is that, that is right? Correct. That is correct. And, and I recall, I think you had said that it just wasn't something that you even knew about to do or had thought yes. about or it wasn't even on your radar. Exactly, right. Yeah. As an and, administrator and our physicians, it's, it's, it's outside of our wheelhouse. As we, you right. know, we like to think we, you know, we have enough knowledge to cover, you know, all aspects. It, it was, wasn't even thought of, out of sight, out of mind. And, and frankly, um, Tom, if you went online, you would find very little about how hospitals and health systems can sell debt. It, it really, most of the literature is all about using debt collectors and not about selling debt. So we, we'll, we'll be talking a little bit more about that, about using debt collection health and, and, and how to sell debt, but doing it in a, in a safe a way that allows hospital systems to engage in ongoing due diligence and control, frankly. So the next um, the next option is that the hospitals and health systems they they decide they, they maybe they try to collect internally maybe they try to use a debt collector but in the end they write off they write off their debt and um, then they they remove all the the risk that may be associated with debt collectors and and but then they they lose they lose value um, so let's let's just pivot here. Um, and and just start talking about what it means to work with debt collectors, whether you um, whether you're uh, hiring the debt collector or whether you sell the debt and the the, um, the debt buyer works the debt collector because debt collection laws apply to uh, to all kinds of debt, including medical practices, and um, and so there's. There's federal, um, you know, there's federal law, and as I mentioned earlier, the federal law generally applies only to third-party uh, collectors. But a medical practice actually will fall under the umbrella, under the rubric of the federal regulations, if they use a name other than their own. <laughs> so if they they put out a, a, a message or a letter or an email that says debt collector or collection service, and they don't use the name of their practice, now they have unwittingly uh, fallen under the, the regulations, the federal regulations and many of the state regulators. But, um, but the basic, just, what, just, for, just so that our medical uh, uh, providers um, have an idea, the basic points of the, the regulations is, is really that patients, the consumer shouldn't be harassed. So now, you know, as to language or time and place under the federal, um, under the FDCPA, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, collectors um, can't call in the evening. They they can't um, they can't contact folks and ask like the call the employer's office. They don't speak to the patient's friends, family about the debt, and and frankly, the state laws um, provide in some cases even more even more protections than that. But but these laws were enacted so that consumers. Would not be harassed. It's and and so for a debt collector to engage in certain behaviors, uh, calling constantly, calling at the wrong time, calling at the wrong place, um, that would be considered an unlawful activity, and a and a consumer could could uh, bring a lawsuit. But when you're talking about medical debt, now you're thinking about HIPAA's privacy rule, 
And under that rule, you know, covered entities have to limit the disclosure of protected um, health information, right? Um, to the minimum amount necessary to accomplish the stated objective. And here, the stated stated objective would be the um, the collection of debt. So it gets kind of tricky because you might say to yourself, well, how do I, you know, how do I hire debt collectors or how do I sell my sell sell the debt without running afoul of this of, of HIPAA and the privacy rule? Um, and it's it's tricky, but here are some details. So if a debt collector, if excuse me, if a health system wanted to work with a debt buyer or a debt collector, then those debt buyers and debt collectors would become business associates under HIPAA. They'd sign an agreement. Um, and, and then the covered entities would provide just a limited amount of information so that the um, so that the debt collectors could collect on those medical bills, right? Um, and just some additional information that if a debt collector get, you know, is somehow provided more information, um, more protected health information, that's considered a breach and, and there are significant penalties. So again, th these, these are reasons why you wanna know what the rules are and you wanna work, work with professionals. Um, Tom, when you, when you were working with uh, debt collectors, I imagine you engaged, uh, you signed up a business associate agreement with that debt collector? That is correct. And um, and it, it, I imagine that the, the agreement sort of laid out what, what they would be provided, what they could and could not do to ensure that they were in compliance with HIPAA? Yes, yes, they had to show their, their HIPAA compliance policy. Right, and and the reason for that is because you, as the health system, you you're accountable, right? You're you're you know you you you're just as even though you may be working with a business associate, it's your obligation to ensure that whoever you work with is following the rules, and if there's a breach, they notify you, and and they uh, they take as seriously this responsibility as seriously as as you did. That's is right. That, yeah, as as that's, providers, we have. Um, uh, the greatest reputation risk, you know, in, in this whole process. So, um, so if you see this next slide, it really talks about, you know, what's needed. And, and the most important thing to know is that let's say a, a dis there's a dispute and a patient or consumer who's being called by a debt collector believes that the amount being collected is, um, is not correct. And they uh, they have to give permission for that debt collector to receive the details of the underlying treatments. The collector is not entitled to that. So they might um, the patient would would certainly tell the collector that the amount is disputed. They may also go to the hospital and say this amount is disputed, and they have the right that the patient has the right to obtain the the details of their treatment in order to to further um, uh, dispute the bill with the uh, collection. So if 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 a if a um, if a debt collection company obtains that if the uh, the details, they there there could be a breach there um, under HIPAA. Um, so moving on. So what can what kind of information can be disclosed? Well, it's it's pretty minimal. The patient's name, the address, the social security number, birth, account number, balance due. The, the payment history and um, the name and address of the healthcare facility, not, not a whole lot. So that makes, it, that makes it difficult for a debt collector, right, to call and collect on, on, this, on the, um, the amount owing to the patient. So um, uh, there are specific states that have, um, there, there's been an effort to, um, enact a national medical debt bill, but that has not been successful. And we may see it in the future, but right now the, um, the states are uh, passing their own laws and, and we'll, we'll look at some of them. Many of them have to do with what may or may not be reported to a credit reporting agency or how much interest may be, um, may be added to a medical debt or how much time must pass before a hospital can report adverse 
information. So it's it's pretty much piecemeal, but there are new ones that uh, are popping up. Really, they 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 they. If you do searches, you'll see that um, there are more and more um, from different states, and certainly during this COVID nineteen um, pandemic, there are various states that are taking action to curtail um, collections. Some some pertain to medical debt, some don't. They're they're all different. Um, so it's that's definitely worth looking into. Um, another a, a medical uh, debt uh, lawsuit um, ended with a 2015 settlement with 31 attorneys general that uh, required the credit bureaus to wait 180 days before reporting on on medical debt. So the question, you know, so you've got, so you have, um, so you have compliance, you have your options. So the hospitals and medical systems, you know, they can collect themselves, they can work with debt collectors, they can sell their debt, they can write off the debt. There's a whole, there's a whole sort of interplay of federal regulations, debt collection regulations, state debt collection, and there's medical specific rules and regulations or orders. So it's a whole tapestry of rules and regulations to protect consumers and patients. So, so then what, what are some of the, the obstacles? What, what are some of the problems that, I guess, that keep people uh, up at night when they're thinking about working with debt collectors and selling debt, debt, collector, and selling debt to debt, debt buyers? Well, there could be um, a debt collector is, is receives protected health information in, in violation of HIPAA, or you could have a security breach, or or you could have a debt collector who's overly aggressive, more than, than you certainly want, or or unlawfully collecting um, debt. Um, there's a potential for fraudulent activity, so that a hospital system may decide that to protect the interests of their patients. They may select one debt collector that they've vetted, and they may say, or, or one debt buyer, and they've said in their contract and in their business associate agreement that um, I'm selling you this debt, but you may not resell it. And if there are any disputes, you contact me and we will resolve it. And and perhaps, and, and, and you write that into the agreement with the best interest, but then the debt is sold and, and, and there's really, uh, it's very difficult to, to enforce those types of provisions, so so you have those um, those types of problems, and here are additional examples of violations um, that uh, that could transpire. Um, and maybe Tom, maybe you'd like to comment on some of this, some of these um, alleged violations, and you know. What what you did with the debt and why and you know well, I, what your thoughts are here. And I mean, I, I I'll self admit that um, I was naive to the whole debt collection process. So I, I mean, like in your last three uh, points, those were all fears that we had that there'd be fraudulent activity. How were things going to be done? Our reputations at risk. But again, I'll uh, keep reverting back to the same thing. But for us to be sustainable, we had to, you know, collect as much money as we can because we we had operational expenses. Right. And so and and actually you um, you're fairly new to the company Transparency Registry. This is a company that um, has created a registry for uh, for consumer debt, for medical debt, and it provides a way for um, uh, creditors, for hospitals, for medical systems to to keep track of their debt as it's as it's collected, as patients make payments, and um, and what happens is this with this with this uh, registry, if a hospital wants to use a debt collector, they want to sell the debt, they upload the debt onto the registry. It can only be seen by the the um, the, the details uh, about treatment can only be seen by the patient. And the and the hospital system, the debt collector sees the details they're entitled to see. The debt buyer sees the details they're entitled to see, and it provides a transparent way of keeping track of who owns the debt. And the debt collectors must be on the system, must be are vetted, so they're legitimate organizations. Um, 
Tom, I was, um, you, you joined the company, I think more out of, a, <laughs> based on your experience, because you believed in, in what the company was trying to do to help hospitals and, and medical practices. Um, maybe you could, could speak to that about, about your experience and then how the registry works. Well, no, as I was, you know, presented the registry, um, I, I saw the importance and the huge value um, in applying this registry into distressed medical debt um, for one, for the protection or safeguards that are put in place through the registry, uh, most importantly for the patient, but secondly, for, you know, the providers and health healthcare systems that I personally know intimately um, that are struggling to survive in this day and age with the, you know, landscape change in, you know, the insurance coverages and different plans that are out there. Right. So, so if you're looking at the slide, you'll see that a medical office would upload the debt and documentation onto the registry platform. And these are the, this is the document, documentation that exists at the time that the, the debt is written off. And um, one of the issues that happens often is that uh, from time to time, when debt is sold, sometimes the documentation um, doesn't move with the debt or it gets changed or altered or lost. And then debt can be bought or sold and, um, or it can be sold um, uh, in an unauthorized way uh, without permission from the, uh, from the hospital system. So what happens here, you have the debt is, um, is uploaded to the system and, the, and it stays there in that registry. And so as a debt collector is authorized, that information is added to the platform and added to the registry. And then as the debt balance changes, uh, that information is added to the debt registry and patients as well can securely, can securely log in. So if a, if a patient is contacted by a debt, a debt collector who is not authorized, or if there's a debt collector who is engaging in abusive behavior, um, the, uh, the collector, the, the, excuse me, the patient can uh, send up a flare. They can send a notification that I've been contacted by an unauthorized debt collector, that somebody has my information who doesn't have authorization. And that, and that um, notarization, that notification will, uh, will go to the hospital system, the debt buyer, the debt collector. It becomes an early warning system for everybody in the ecosystem, in the debt, in the medical debt ecosystem that's involved with this medical debt. So you don't have um, unauthorized use or unlawful behavior that are, that's going unchecked. Um, and what would happen is that the health system at the time of the sale would notify the patient, hey, I just want you to know in a communication that we have registered your debt. You can see it here. Um, you will be contacted by a debt collector. Make sure that the, the authorized debt collector is is um, you can see who that is in your um, from from going onto your secure portal. So it provides all sorts of checks and balances that just do not exist right now. Um, and and we think it solves the problem because only licensed legitimate organizations uh, can register and participate in the in the platform. Um, the medical practices can track who owns and who, who's authorized to collect the debt. The confidential patient information is secure. And then the, um, the medical practice, if they, if they want to sell the debt, they can collect that and capture that value upfront, or they can work with, with the debt collectors. But again, they can, they can see in the patients know who is the authorized debt collector, because there's just only so much that can be done and there are bad folks out there. And, you know, I know you said that, um, I just, uh, that, that, um, sorry about this, slide show. Um, that you, um, that you had, you know, you, you, you were concerned about these risks, but when the, when the, when all the documents are on the, on the platform and patients can see securely, then, then those, um, those concerns can be, um, allayed. Exactly. Yeah. Pa patient safeguards is, is probably the most important and pressing within, uh, the healthcare, uh, organizations and community. And um, this tr transparency registry, by being so transparent and um, having the safeguards in place, I, I think will allows us as providers or medical practices um, the, the comfort of knowing that um, 
uh, the debt that's out there is uh, protected. There's some the safeguards are in place. So, well, well, that's great. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we um, we we think about is is the uh, is the way that the patients can really take care of themselves and be in a stronger position. Um, when I've reviewed uh, litigation um, brought against uh, whether it's debt collectors or uh, creditors in these types of cases, what I see time and time again is that the patients did not have the details. They did not have the documentation um, underlying their um, excuse me underlying their their care and. And this this type of um, this kind of program, this kind of platform, helps them, gives them the documentation, gives them the details, so that if they're called, they know, um, or not if they're called, when they're contacted by a debt collector, if they're contacted by a debt collector, they they have everything they need, and they know who is the authorized um, party. Of course, um, patients when they get bills, um, when they're billed, if they see a problem early on, they should certainly contact their doctors and health systems. But as you said, many of these hospitals and health systems are, you know, they're just struggling to get the bills out. And if they're able to make a few calls um, to uh, patients, I mean, that's, 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 I mean, it's a good thing and it's rare, but they're, they're really just trying to get those, those bills out and get the bills paid. And so if you have a, a platform where patients can see everything and, send up a notification if there's um, there's a problem that provides all, all parties involved of, um, of the issues. Catherine, how are we doing for time? Oh, excuse me, we're doing very well. Thank you, that was a great presentation. Um, uh, we do have time for uh, a few questions and uh, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind answering just a few. Sure, absolutely. Okay, great. Um, so I was wondering um, about fraud. Um, uh, how can healthcare facilities be sure that if they sell their debt, that their patients won't become victims of, of fraud? I know you went over a little bit of that, but I didn't sure. know if you would mind going over that um, briefly. Sure, sure. Well, um, I'll start and I'm going to ask Tom since um, he, he has some hands-on experience as well. Um, it's it's really it's really important to if you're if you're going to use work with there there are two parts to it I would say is one is to vet the uh, the debt collector or the debt buyer that they're going to be working with and get references and um, and all debt all debt collectors are are not alike some are um, some are more aggressive some are less aggressive of course it also depends on is um, how much they're, you know, how much they're paying, uh, how much are they paying, um, uh, I mean, excuse me, how much are they paying the debt collector and the margins and um, uh, how much is the debt buyer paying for the debt? Um, so, so they need to, um, they need to vet these uh, debt collectors and debt buyers very well. And there's so many, there are many, many legitimate debt collectors and debt buyers out there. So they just have to do their, their due diligence, just like anything else. But even in solid organizations, you can have bad actors. And, and that's why it's, um, it's important to, to keep track of, um, of the debt and make sure your patients know who the authorized debt collector is. Um, so that if they're contacted by uh, someone other than that, uh, they won't they won't become victims, and that they have the information of the underlying the underlying details, so they know exactly how much is owed. Tom, do you have anything to add there? Um, yeah, I mean, not not too much, because I mean, you're uh, more of the the expert when it comes to fraud and what have you. But it's like anything. There's always you know there's always going to be risk. There's nothing that's ever going to be 100% risk free. But it's kind of like what's going on right now in this day and age where we're trying to mitigate risk by social distancing. So any um, safeguards you can put in place will, will can lower the risk. And that's you know what I'm seeing transparency registry um, this platform um, is providing. Like you just touched on how 
the companies, whether they're debt buyers or debt collectors, they're being fully vetted through a process um, through transparency registry. So you are um, bringing what what is the most vetted companies to the table. So high which, quality, high quality yeah. organizations. Yes, with, with, with and you they, know, and they're professionals. I mean, these these are professionals. They have the analytics. They have the technology. They know the regulations. So they will, you know, they will do their very best to bring in to get paid with, you know, within the, 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 the legal framework that exists. And this legal framework is, like I said, it's complicated and it's a patchwork and it's always changing. And so, um, you know, there's questions and, and they will use the most effective means to, to bring in, um, to bring in the revenue as well. So they're, they're doing all kinds of analytics and using artificial intelligence and predictive analytics. So, so that they don't waste their time calling folks who aren't going to pay. They, they're calling the people who are most likely to pay. They're using the most effective means. And, and frankly, um, mere lay people who are not specialists, it's, it's very hard to compete with that. Okay, um, how about um, uh, this? Uh, could, you, could you go over the options to healthcare providers that they have when it comes to collecting medical debt again, and what are the advantages or disadvantages for each of these options? Well, what we were saying, Catherine, is that is that um, hospital systems, medical systems, you know, they can always use their own employees, but and, and I think that's what most people feel most comfortable with using their employees because they don't want strangers calling their patients, right? They they want to maintain that relationship. But um, but again, you know, your your employees probably have 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 other responsibilities that they need to do. And and as as credit and as the debt grows, you, the last thing you want to do is is heap on more expense to bring in debt that maybe you're going to bring in 10% or 5% or you know whatever it is. So um, so they can use their own employees. They can work with professional debt collectors. They can sell their debt. And the advantage of selling the debt is that they get paid up front. They know how much they're getting up front. And, um, and they don't have to wait for, uh, for the uh, collection to take place, whether it's five months, six months, seven months, a year. You know? um, and after a while, the debt becomes stale. And it becomes even harder uh, to collect on that debt. So, so you've got uh, professional debt collectors, you can sell your debt or they write off the debt and then um, then that's just a loss. Um, but but some, listen, some some hospitals, some medical systems, um, they may they want to do that, especially after some period of time. They don't want to carry it on the books and they they just um, they just stop uh, decide they're going to stop uh, collecting. Okay, um, and what things should a healthcare provider know about capturing value from their medical debt so it doesn't become a total loss? Tom, do you want to take that one? Well, I, I think the, the value is knowing that we have a an alternative um, to collecting some revenue versus uh, historically collecting zero revenue. And And especially now when there's so much medical debt and so much more coming, I mean, when we when we see it, it's it, it it's almost um, the, if you look at the credit reporting agencies and you see who is reporting, um, you'll see that right now there there's very little infrastructure for um, collecting on medical debt. There has not emerged a specific provider for buying medical debt for collecting on medical debt. It is not in the hands of the few. Um, it is not an organized, well-organized infrastructure for collections on medical debt. That's why so many folks really, they, they don't have a plan. They don't have a process. And, and it's, it's, it's tricky. And, and that's why, we, like I said, that's why we, we, we created this platform, because, because hospital debt, medical debt is so different from every other debt. They want to, you know, Medical facilities want to ensure that their patients are are healthy, are cared for. They don't want to undermine that. <laughs> they don't want to take it apart. And so 
medical systems have to find the right process, the right partners to ensure that their patients are not abused in the process of, of, of getting, you know, of, of paying out their, what they owe to, to practitioners, to hospitals. Okay, well, uh, thank you so much, Andrea and Thomas. Um, do you have any other words of advice or anything that you would like to leave with us today? Um, I would just say um, anyone on the call, anyone on this, um, this podcast, this webinar can call me, send me an email, um, and we can, we want to be helpful here. So please, please feel free to reach out. Yeah, and I share the exact same sentiments, and I appreciate the invite and being a part of uh, this this webinar today. Great. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on as well. And it's been a very uh, informative and uh, eye-opening uh, webinar. So we really appreciate that and encourage our listeners and um, attendees to, to reach out uh, to you both. So attendees, you have the contact information there. Um, if you um, uh, need to, don't forget that you can uh, download a copy of the slides. Um, and then if you need to, you can uh, reach us and then we will put you in contact um, with Tom and Andrea. And uh, you can send us questions as well and we'll forward them on. Please remember your PACOM and your PMI CEU certificate will be emailed to you from within two days following the broadcast. There's no need to request it. It will be sent automatically. You can register for any future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. And thank you for joining us.